0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.
1: We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast.
0: You're listening to The Archaeology Podcast Network.
2: You're listening to The Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to The Archaeology Show, episode 104. On today's show, I talk to Simon Young from Lithodomos VR about traveling back in time from the comfort of your own home. Alright everybody, welcome to the show and our guest today, as I mentioned in the introduction, has been on the Archaeotech podcast several times. I don't know if you guys have heard the Archaeotech podcast, but you probably should check it out. And I'm going to link to the two episodes that he was on. And these... Simon, go back all the way to June 27th, 2019 was episode 108, and then you were all the way back on episode 45 on January 26th, 2017, almost four years ago. So welcome to the show,
3: Simon Young. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to, great to be back.
2: <laughs> well, there you go. And we brought you back a third time now and on a completely different podcast because... Well, you guys are just doing super cool things. So Simon runs Lithodomos VR, as I mentioned in the introduction. And first, Simon, why don't you just tell us in its broadest sense what Lithodomos VR is, and then we'll kind of get into what you guys are doing. Like, what's your what's your
3: mission statement, for lack of a better word? Great. So Lithodomos means stone mason in ancient Greek. So litho stone, obviously, and domos um, uh, house or, or mason when they're put together. And... We were founded in 2016 on off the back of my PhD thesis on ancient Greek and Roman cityscapes in Asia Minor, and there is a connection there that I'll, I'll go into. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I, I was looking at the urban development of uh, cityscapes from the Hellenistic period to the Roman period, and I was very keen to try to understand what the lived experience on the street was for a casual observer or a resident of the of the city. Uh, at different uh, phases within its development. So I had all these maps and plans and elevations of different buildings from different sources, and I was having a bit of trouble visualising how it all came together, especially in a multi-phase development. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I just threw these plans and elevations into a 3D modelling program like SketchUp, and do some rough models of the buildings and conduct a kind of view view, shed analysis of what I could see. Well, suffice to say that is a massive rabbit hole that I fell into. (laughs) I um, started loading in the plans and elevations and, and got a bit frustrated with SketchUp eventually and moved on to a program called Blender, which is an open source free 3D modeling program. Mm-hmm. And I used uh, scale model meshes of, of of these buildings and cityscapes to create a an environment. And, and really, I was just aiming to put together some uh, to produce some images for my for the for my thesis for the for the list of figures. Mm-hmm. And um, around that time, around two thousand and fifteen. The Oculus Rift development kit <laughs> was shipping yeah. and a colleague of mine had been given one and she said, I have no idea about 3D and I know that you're working on 3D, so here you go, make it work. <laughs> went, okay. <laughs> so the second rabbit hole opened up as I started on producing a workflow to get these models into an Oculus Rift headset. One, and one, one day, I'll never never forget, I put on the headset, fired it up, it worked, and there I was standing in uh, one of my models, and it was just <laughs> incredible to to see everything yeah. to scale, to, to have this sense of, of being there, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And cool for me, personally, I have to say at the time, because it was, it was all about my, my, my desire to know what it looked like. So... Mm-hmm. Then then I um, showed some colleagues and some friends, and they thought it was pretty cool as well. Then um, I met this uh, guy at a bachelor party and uh, told him about what I was working on, and he really loved the idea, showed him, and he ran a tech incubator. So we uh, he decided to invest in, in the idea. We developed a business plan. And in early 2017, we raised just under $1 million to fund Lithodomus, the, the company. So nice. the basic idea of Lithodomus, let's say, at the beginning was to create virtual reality um, experiences for people visiting archaeological sites so that they could visualize what things look like through a, a mobile virtual reality uh, device on site. So mm-hmm. that, through 2017, we, we travelled extensively through Europe and met, met up with uh, tool guides and um, museum directors and archaeological site directors, and launched a few on-site virtuality experiences and set about uh, creating a content library of, well actually now, it's over 500 uh, individual reconstructions of the ancient world, mostly based in wow. Europe. So that's a bit of the background to to the company.
2: Yeah, and that's amazing. I remember when we first started discussing this, I went and picked up a Google Cardboard just because of the podcast that we had recorded and downloaded a few of the applications. And I got to say, it was so cool being in that, Environment and what you guys were doing, and it was you know just being able to walk around and I've actually physically been to some of the sites too that I remember looking at and uh, you know long time ago when I was in the Navy, <laughs> but oh. I was in, at some of those sites when I was in Italy, and uh, and still being able to look through them and and see them and and then hear some of the sounds and then the way that you guys had it structured it really did put you in immersive experience and I mean it wasn't full. You know, VR, like Oculus or something like that, it's not like I'm wearing a bodysuit and can feel the, the textures mm-hmm. and things like that. But still, your brain compensates for so much of that when you're in that immersive environment and you take away your distractions. And I thought it was mm-hmm. just a really, really neat way to do it. And I've never been a fan of museums, to be honest. I mean, I like going to museums and, and seeing things that are, that are unique and interesting, but I'd rather see artifacts and things and features in their context and see how people used them. And I, you Mm -hmm. know, I'd I'd love to move to a situation where we can, we can interact with something in a little more like I'd I'd rather see an object laying on the ground or on a table and pick it up in VR and look at it and examine it rather than see it behind a glass case Mm -hmm. in a museum display that says this is what this was used for. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what stuff like this leads us towards. So that that's super cool. That's super cool. So, well, we're here talking now. I mean, what are you guys up to these days?
3: Just Yeah. So picking up on that concept of the artifact behind glass, um, we've had a lot of discussions mm-hmm. about that um, internally, and it's such a 19th century approach to displaying <laughs> yeah, right. artifacts. It's like taking a collection of butterflies and sticking a needle in them and putting them behind a case and, and then neatly writing out a, a paper label underneath with the with the category of, of the butterfly. And I think we've moved yeah. on a little bit from that period. I think we've entered the digital age and the museum experience is catching up but needs to accelerate. A lot of museums, are, I have to say, a lot of museums are, amazing, are doing this amazingly well and digitising their collections and their experiences. But for the most part, most m- museums are still stuck in the 19th century with those with that that classification of artifacts out of context mm-hmm. behind a glass case.
2: Yeah, the archaeology museum in Naples, Italy. My wife and I went to it. I think it was three years ago now. When we were we were in Italy for a few weeks, we probably talked about this the last time we had a show mm-hmm. uh, in 2019. But it, you know, that was one of the ones that. Honestly, the thing that most impressed me about that museum were the big, massive sculptures, the marble sculptures yeah. and things like that, because that's just kind of on a scale that you can't even imagine. But then mm. a lot of the stuff from Pompeii was literally that, just like, here's case upon case of beads that are made yes. of this. And I'm like, well, wow, that's, yeah. that's great. Why do I care? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just didn't make any sense to me. So I, I love what you're
3: doing with uh, these ideas. <laughs> mm, yeah. So I guess um so, at the at the beginning of Lithodomus intuitively I had a sense that it's uh, one of my initial pitches actually for the company was that it's difficult to connect to artifacts in a in a, in a glass cabinet mm-hmm. and the whole idea of of taking artifacts and putting them into the original context within virtual reality potentially had the the capability of transforming an existing collection into something that's that's interactive and immersive. However, I, w- I would say that VR has gone through a very interesting journey since Oculus, I think, led the revival of, of the mm-hmm. concept. There was a lot of hype in 2015, 16, 17 about virtual reality taking over every aspect of our lives, um, and it really hasn't. It hasn't taken off right. um, and met the expectations of, of um, enthusiasts and, and supporters in fact, the the penetration of, of virtual reality in households is less than, I think, 0, 0.01%. Do you think that's a cultural
2: thing or a technological thing? Is the technology just not there yet to be accessible to us? Or, I mean, I have a friend who... Just got back into his PlayStation VR. He's had VR for a while and for some reason he just like rediscovered it. Now he's posting all over Facebook about he's how oh, he's exploring No Man's Sky, the PlayStation Five, PlayStation 4 game right. in VR, and just like, mm. you know, changes changes your whole perspective of the game. But you're right. I don't know too many people that either A have one, but then also B actually use it, you know, on a regular basis. So I don't know. Yeah. What do you, what do you think it is? Is that our is that our ability to just not understand it and, and get into it, or is the tech just not there?
3: I think it's a, a question of adoption waves. I've seen a really interesting chart, and, and I think if you, if you if you Google it, it's pretty easy to find about adoption rates of radio and television. Mm-hmm. And what you see is that the initial release of the technology has a modest or small uptake, and then it then it rapidly declines, and then several years later, once people are used to the idea, there's a massive uptake of the technology. So I think we've seen the first yeah. little bump and and we, we will see a, 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 a larger um, uptake of, of, of the tech in the future. Mm-hmm. I was watching a, a documentary on the Australian Broadcasting Commission's channel, our ABC.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It was about a family living living back in, a modern family living in the 1930s and 40s. And apparently when TVs came out, there were massive debates about which room they should sit in and how lounge lounge rooms, sitting rooms needed to change and where they should go in relation to the sofa, in relation to the coffee table. It was a big thing. Mm -hmm. I think, I think in most people's homes these days, the television is is the central part of of, of the lounge room.
2: (laughs) Yeah. If not in
3: every room as well. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I do think technology does have a role to play. I think that the um, Oculus Rift with its external sensors in a room made it quite difficult to set up. It was quite expensive as well. Mm -hmm. Facebook remains very committed to virtual reality technology, and I don't know if you've had a chance or any of of your listeners listeners have had a chance of of, um, trying the Oculus Quest 2. But hmm. it's no, no, no. amazing. It's amazing because yeah. it's um, it's fully free roam, so you can walk around in a virtual reality space with no sensors. So Ooh. yes, it's a massive leap forward, and also the price point has dropped considerably. I think they are retailing at two hundred ninety nine US dollars, uh, which isn't Jeez. too bad, and the resolution is incredible. I might go, I might buy one right now while we're
2: on a break. (laughs) I mean, that's because honestly, when I was talking to that friend of mine, who's gotten back into his PlayStation VR for like No Man's Sky, I'm not too much of a gamer myself, but I do have a a PlayStation 4. And almost because I wanted to get the No Man's Sky game, because there was a whole archaeological thing going on about exploring and cataloging that world that progressively generated universe. Mm -hmm. So I was interested in the VR aspect of it as well. But like you said, with the no sensors aspect, this is what's keeping me from the VR because my wife and I, over the summer, moved Ooh. into an RV. We're in a 36-foot RV, and we're oh, in wow. different places around the United States now. I know. <laughs> and plenty of room for the PlayStation, plenty of room. We got a TV, but because of the yeah. configuration of our living space, I I could use the VR, but I have to be plugged into the PlayStation, which is on the opposite end of the RV and the entertainment wow. console, from where the TV actually is. And you still need the camera as well to, to basically monitor your head movements and other things. And I don't think the lighting is good enough in there. So I can't really use it at all because of the way they've designed their technology. But it sounds like this Quest 2 from Oculus would be
3: usable because there's no external sensors. It's all built into the head unit, right? Exactly. In fact, what you could do um, if you have a 5G connection or if you, if you down, download the content previously, you could go out, mm-hmm to a deserted crossroad at at the full moon <laughs> and, and yeah. draw and draw a, a a play space that's 10 meters by 10 meters and and go for it <laughs> Be nothing to stop, wow. stop, stop you from doing that yeah
2: that's that's totally crazy All right. Well, I think that's actually a good point before we get into too much uh, other things we might extend Mm -hmm. on one of the other segments. But Mm -hmm. let's take a break right now. And then we're going to come back and talk to you guys about what you've been getting into during this whole no contact, everybody stay at home, COVID time and how your business has changed (laughs) what you guys are into (laughs) these days. So (laughs) we'll be back in just a minute with Simon Young from Lithodomos. Back in a second. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to dot com
1: every time
4: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. join us today during the jeep celebration event right now get 20 below msrp for an average of 15,178 under msrp on the purchase of a 2023 jeep grand cherokee overland 4x e or summit 4x e Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
2: All right, welcome back to The Archaeology Show. And this is episode 104. And I'm here with Simon Young from Lithodomos VR. So, Simon, uh, as I mentioned, 2020, we're recording this at the end of 2020, and this episode is coming out in mid-December of 2020. So how has this whole crazy worldwide pandemic, uh, do we need to say worldwide? I think pan implies worldwide. Anyway, Mm. worldwide pandemic (laughs) impacted your business and Lithodomes VR and the direction you guys are taking that. And as we talked about pre-recording Google stopping support for Google Cardboard and things like that, and just kind of everybody shifting focus on, on what's important. So where are you guys at right now?
3: Yeah. So at the end of, uh, 2019, we were doing a, let's say a, a review or a stock take of, of where we were as a company. And one of the big observations was that it was a shame that our content was locked up in solely virtual reality glasses. Mm-hmm. On, on that uh, notion that penetration of, of VR is so low and VR never really took off, we started thinking of other ways that our content could be deployed. And we had done that in various apps where you had a like a um, 360 uh, mode without launching into VR or you could uh, or we did some 69 videos videos that promoted the experience so we thought to ourselves we'd look more into other ways of deploying the content so we went on a big trip through through mm-hmm. europe uh, when it was so possible to travel uh, in uh, october right. november last year and visited a lot of museums and and archaeological sites to get a lay of the land if you will And what what we really noticed uh, is the emergence of the immersive space. So that means that um, a lot of uh, popular exhibitions employ um, a a combination of uh, uh, digital content deployment techniques within the same Mm -hmm. experience. So that that might mean that you have, for example, a 360 cinema or um, a tablet console or um, a, a, a projection onto architecture, or a big projection onto onto a wall. In fact, uh, one of the most impressive exhibitions I went to see was one on Claude Monet in Barcelona, and they, mm. they, they they had put together an incredible combination of of different types of digital content. You would walk into a room that was a warehouse. In size and scale. There'd be projections of of Monet's paint, paintings on on the on the floor, on the on the walls, and, and beautiful classical music from the period, and bean bags strewn around, and people just really laying back and enjoying the the show. And then you'd move on to mm-hmm. a different different um, room where they had some AR where you'd actually get to draw your own picture of what you thought a Monet painting would look like and put it under an AR camera and then it would transform <laughs> it magically into a Monet painting. And wow. after that, a virtual reality experience where you um, entered one of Monet's paintings. So we see this te- tendency to mix or combine different uh, digital platforms uh, or deployment methods for using the same themed content. So we thought, well, this is what we need to get into. So we were looking at. Uh, we developed a product portfolio for museum installations that included includes uh, one hundred and eighty to three hundred and sixty cinemas, architectural projection of our content, smart television projection of our content, and 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 uh, tablet tablet stands instead of those paper labels um, for artifacts as mm-hmm. we were discussing earlier, VR uh, group pods. And also handheld AV guides. So we were we were out and about making partnerships and and, and talking about uh, uh, projects within museums when COVID hit. And of course, yeah. uh, public gatherings and museums uh, <laughs> suffered uh, slightly from <laughs> from this uh, turn of events. So mm-hmm. we still think that a cross platform deployment of our content is a good idea. So we focused our energies into what we call the um, consumer multimedia guide. So this is a a product where visitors to museums and archeological sites can uh, use their own device to access Mm -hmm. 360 reconstructions and other digital content as a guide through a site or a museum. So it turns out that it's very popular. It's a very popular concept because visitors are using their own devices rather than sharing Mm -hmm. an audio guide that's been disinfected or some other type of hardware that the museum gives out. So it's entirely contactless. Yeah. And and it's web-based, so it works on any device apart from a a Nokia from uh, 19... uh, (laughs) Ninety-eight <laughs> Nokia phones won't yeah. work on those, but but any any smartphones within the last five years, more or less. Yeah. So yeah. so we launched that product about uh, two two weeks ago. It's called Ancient World, and um, I, I guess we'll place a link under under the interview later uh, after. Yeah. Mm. So that's yeah, that's absolutely. where we've been going. Mm. One other thing that, that came up from talking to museums and, and to visitors was that our, our virtuality uh, experience on site depended entirely on, on the guide um, who, was, uh, who was taking their group through the archaeological site to explain the history of the site and to, and to give the context for the 360 3D reconstructions. So what we've done with Ancient World mm-hmm. is we've, so- we've sourced local guides to uh, record an audio narrative to accompany the mm. 360 reconstructions. But they do it as if you were in the ancient world. So we have, a, for Rome, we have a local guide called Alessia who is describing what you're seeing within your, um, your AV guide, um, pointing out the different mm-hmm. points of interest, and is with you as your virtual guide through this, this journey in the ancient world.
2: Hmm. That's really cool. I like it. You know, you, you started this whole thing out talking about when you're doing your PhD, you know, wondering what it was like to stand on the streets of the places that you were studying. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this really is leading us all into that direction, which I think, I think is the, the best way to understand the past. You know what I mean? It's the best way to really get people in a headspace of thinking about not just look at the pretty artifacts and the pretty sculptures and the, and the buildings and things like that. But, you know, what was life really like for these people? And what can we learn from that? You know, what can we, what can we learn from their experiences and, and what they did and what what they shouldn't have done (laughs) and just how people lived in the past. And, and not only that, but it could be expanded to how do people live in other countries right now? It doesn't always have to be the past, right? And this experience Mm. could be, what's it like to stand on the streets of You know, in in Melbourne, Australia right now versus Mm. India versus China versus Russia. What is that? You know, what is that like as Americans? I, have you know, I'm relatively well-traveled. I wouldn't say nearly Mm. as well-traveled as the, like the average European probably, but I've been in, you know, a number of continents and, and different places. And I feel like that just gives you a different perspective of reality and of the world and of people in general, and probably tends to make you a little bit more compassionate too. Whereas people who never leave their hometown or their home state here in the United States, they just get a little insular and a little nationalistic and start thinking, you know, well, what I see around me is the best possible scenario. So that's the only thing I'm going to support. And I don't know where I'm going with this. It was just making me think of the world in yeah. a better perspective, not just from a historical perspective, but Current world affairs as well.
3: Yeah, I was I was having a conversation the other day about about this, and I, I suppose mm-hmm. this is one of the, one of the um, impacts or, or or changes that COVID nineteen has brought about is the resistance in consumer behaviour to participate in events that are digital and remote. That resistance mm-hmm. has, has broken down massively. Yeah, one of my one of my friends and colleagues, um, uh, Professor Andy Goldman at Gonzaga University in Washington State, mm-hmm. we were talking about its effect on education, and he he was commenting that um, probably in the United States, you could say that pretty much all students have had some type of remote learning experience in in 2020. Right. And speaking of his own own colleagues and, and, and other professors in archaeology, they have all been thrust into the age of remote distance learning or mm-hmm. through through Zoom or whichever platform they use. So as, as, a, as a kind of a, a global behavioral shift, this has opened us up to the possibility or the acceptance or the willingness to... To go into a virtual tour, to imagine that you're remotely somewhere, and that and that right. that's um, really significant, I think.
2: Well, and even, I mean, even take it take it farther than that, right? Because mm. universities right now, you have to go prior to 2020, and probably post 2020, you're going to go into a classroom. You have to go all the way to the university, live there, take their classes be with the professor and your students. And and there is, there is value in that. And I think we're all realizing that, Mm -hmm. like you said, two things, one, virtual meetings are not impossible. We can actually do it and we can be successful and we can do that. Talk to anybody who's podcasted, right? Like I've never, Mm -hmm. you and I have never been on the same continent together and yet we've done three, Mm -hmm. three shows so far. (laughs) So so we, we know that this is possible, but then also I think it's shown us the value of face-to-face communication. There are some things you can do in face-to-face communication that are just a little bit more difficult. The chance encounters, the side conversations are more difficult in a Zoom meeting with 40 people on it. right? Mm. But that being said, the technology you guys are developing and using, I mean, could also really be used for stuff like this. I mean, why why should any university have a room anymore with people that have to go there, live there, spend half their tuition on dorm rooms when they could just stay at home or stay wherever they want? And attend virtually into a virtual classroom experience, not like a Zoom room, but a virtual classroom experience where you can still be with your peers and interact with them and do things. And, you know, I think we've all seen science fiction movies and things where this is the case and sometimes it all goes horribly wrong. But I think I think taking the the bright side of this pandemic, like you said, it's it's opened our eyes to the possibilities of virtual interactions. And if we could have the technology to support that, because, you know, one of the reasons that people hate Zoom meetings is you've got sometimes 20, 30, 40 people sitting on a screen and, and you don't have the appropriate screen for it. You're using oh. an iPad, you're using a 13-inch laptop. But if we all yeah. had a wall screen at home that we could sit in front of that had everybody right there and it was just the, con- the technology was more conducive to the environment and the event... But right now, those two things aren't matching up. But I think mm. VR could possibly be the the easier answer for that than a than a forty two inch computer
3: screen, which will cost you eight thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been we've been actually working a little bit. We've had a few meetings now in a um a, a, an Oculus Quest two application called um, Immersed, where they set up mm-hmm. a uh, a workspace. Your, your fa- You take a photo of your of your face, or you upload a selfie. And it pastes mm-hmm. it onto an avatar, and we're in a big workroom mm. with whiteboards, three D sound, mm-hmm. and it's it it really makes a difference. It, it's it's so much yeah. better to to be able to turn turn around and, and, and speak to somebody or you know pass them something or uh, or, or you know, to, to expand the whiteboard or to 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 annotate the photograph. We're a lot more a lot more present in in that immersive space. So, having said that, imagine with our three d environments that we've developed, the archaeology professor or high school teacher or history buffer enthusiast appearing in the Roman forum for a lecture <laughs> on the roman forum and the, nice. the instructor taking the group around the roman forum and explaining each of the um, buildings or, or the people and what they're doing the activities
0: yeah.
3: that would be very cool and it's not it's yeah. not we, we we have the technology <laughs> 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 nice
2: nice and, and the technology is getting cheaper and cheaper too and, and mm. in the last few minutes of this segment because I, I don't want to spend too much time on this i'm just curious mm. about it from a theoretical standpoint but mm. you know vr's as you said it, it's coming along uh, it's progressing even if there's a somewhat of a somewhat of a low spot from the high that we had a few years ago as technology mm. curves go it's going to go back up but what about the other technologies related to the VR experience. And I'm thinking, you know, I've read a lot of sci-fi and seen all the movies, mm-hmm. you know, the full, everything from smells to the full body tactile experience. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Have you guys done any research or have any long-term roadmap plans that include those other senses? Because audio is clearly a thing that, that you're doing and, and that other people are doing and video. But what about all the other senses to make this mm-hmm. a, a fully immersive experience?
3: Uh, and I have to I have to agree. With, I, I agree with you there. That I do. I do a lot of research into that myself. I, I'm completely up to date mm-hmm. with Star Trek and uh, with uh, <laughs> with The Mandalorian, of course. So, of course. So I'm, 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 I'm very. I'm very uh, I, I take very my research. Take my research very seriously.
4: <laughs> That's um,
3: right. That's right. I I, I think. Well, haptics is a big thing, isn't it? The the touch, the touch yeah. um, feedback, and uh, 3D sound as well. And I think I, I, I kind of want to segue into augmented reality glasses. Mm-hmm. So there's this 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 sense that you have this overlay of the world through uh, your virtual reality glasses. Uh, the Oculus Quest has, has cameras, so you can see where you are if you need to, so you don't bump into anything. Mm-hmm. Facebook and Apple are, are working on well Apple we're not sure working on augmented reality glasses so so glasses that you would wear as if they were normal glasses to overlay AR experiences to the real world. Uh, this, this convergence of reality, with um, a, a digital sense of being is probably the next big big step. Smell uh, is, is is a bit it's a bit trickier. I think I'm not sure how you would do that without placing an implant in the brain or <laughs> creating some kind <laughs> of um, device that that can that can fabricate smells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. It's uh, hmm. it's an interesting interesting nice. um, time. <laughs>
2: Indeed it is. All right. Well, with that, we will take our final break and come back and wrap up this discussion with Simon Young from Lithodomus. VR. back in a minute.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time
4: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
0: ba da ba 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 join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to
2: the final segment of the Archaeology Show, episode 104, with myself and Simon Young from Lithodomus VR. So. You know, Simon, we're going to talk about a little more about what Lithodomos has to offer here. But there's something we were talking about before we started, and I wrote the note down, and I want to talk about it. So, Web VR, tell me all about that and what it is.
3: Uh, well, so, so Web VR is a concept. We, we all know about the Internet of Things and the, the whole concept that, that that the web covers everything. But there is this exciting mm-hmm. innovation within browsers. Which is uh, which is it Web VR? Now you might think to yourself that Web VR means that you're within an Oculus quest, headset and then you bring up a, a virtual browser and you see uh, Google and you you do a Google search with your digital fingers and and find the Lolcat images you were looking for. but that's <laughs> that's not what it is. web, web mm-hmm. VR it's it's the idea that you can enter a room-scale free-roam environment that is streamed to your headset. So Hmm. let's take an example. Uh, Let's say that I'm in a uh, virtual lounge room where I've had my my meeting with my friends and, and colleagues, and I look over at the virtual bookshelf and I walk over to the virtual bookshelf and there's a virtual book on ancient Rome. I, I pull down the book, I open it up, and I see an image of the Roman Forum animated in a way that you would expect the Harry Potter newspapers to be animated. <laughs> then I, I, I tap the picture of the Roman Forum, and the entire content is streamed at that moment, and I'm transported to, this, to the Roman Forum. Wow! Suddenly, I'm in a new environment. I, I look over there at the, at, at the um, or Pal- look up to the, the the balcony of the Palatine Palace, and I, I say, I want to teleport up there. I teleport up there. The content streams again. So I start going from place to place through links in a
4: mm-hmm.
3: virtual reality web. Nice. This is really taking off in the sense. There's a lot of d- uh, development going into it. And also, we, we've been a little bit, let's say, constrained by apps and the app store, app stores. Mm-hmm. You, you, you may recall the whole situation with Apple and Fortnite, the standoffs. Yes. And that kind of brought, brought, to, the, uh, brought to, the, to the forefront the power of, of the two big um, app stores with their terms and conditions and their, their massive commissions. Mm -hmm. and there's a tendency to move away from apps and back to web browsers and web browsers as we all know are becoming quite sophisticated applications capable of uh, a lot of functionality such as you know recording podcasts or um, Mm -hmm. uh, internet banking or zoom meetings and this functionality web vr is is another one that's emerging so I'm really excited by that concept. I think it's got a got a great future. I think I think everything's moving to the cloud anyway. Mm-hmm. So having a virtual reality version of the ancient world that you can freely navigate would be a good thing.
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I, one of the reasons apps took off as much as they did was because of you, you know that how difficult it was and still kind of is for some parts of the world to gain internet access on a consistent basis. I'll tell you what I mentioned mm-hmm. early on that my wife and I moved into an RV. When you leave that nice little bubble of your home with your high speed internet and you go mm-hmm. on the road and now you've got varying situations and, and things are changing and you've really got to look at your data usage and it's just, it becomes a whole different ball game. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I know not everybody's in that situation, but it lets me know that, Hey, not everybody has the best internet all the time and can access all this content, but that's quickly changing. And, you know, the ubiquitousness of 5G and how how that's starting to become more prevalent in more areas. I don't know how it's doing in Australia, but
0: here, mm-hmm. here in America,
2: most of the major cities, yeah, it's picking up. And mm. most of the major cities have 5G and they have spots of 5G access. Um, I finally got, I just got the iPhone 12 Pro Max. So I now have mm. a, a 5G capable device, but I haven't been in the 5G service area yet. Uh. So I haven't <laughs> been able to, to play with it. <laughs> Yeah, looking looking forward to that. And then you know the other thing we're looking forward to that just really blows all this stuff wide open is Starlink from Elon mm. Musk. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, you know, I was having, say, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. As an RVer, really looking forward to that uh, as something that that'll give me high speed internet pretty much anywhere I want to be, mm. and that's going to be amazing. So you're totally right. We had apps because you could download an app in its entirety onto your phone and Mm. typically not have to worry about that. But Mm. you know, a lot of apps do require uh, an internet connection to stay updated and to Mm. sometimes download content from the web. And Mm. man, as we're shifting more and more away from that though, there's no reason why I can't just be in a web page and access it from anywhere on any device. So that's, that's super cool. It's amazing where we're going with this stuff. Definitely.
3: Yeah. I was going to maybe talk about also impact of COVID on the European tourism market and, and museums and archaeological mm-hmm. sites within the context of what yeah. we're doing. So obviously there was a massive shockwave throughout Europe when COVID-19 hit, and to a great extent that's ongoing.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And we saw, we saw, as I mentioned at the beginning of it, a complete shutdown of uh, archaeological sites and museums uh, in, in most major European destinations. However, what what has, has happened in the meantime is a lot of local governments have been in the background working on strategies on post-COVID, what's going to happen when we do reopen. And also a, mm-hmm. a, keen, a keen, let's say, observation or realisation on the precariousness of the mass tourism market that within the blink of an eye countries that completely depended on on millions of visitors to to sites every year lost their income hmm. yeah and were devastated so governments are very keen to find ways to ensure that um, that doesn't happen again in the future a more sustainable mm-hmm. approach to to, to tourism and cultural heritage. And what, one of the big pushes um, from a recent report by the European Travel Commission is to promote lo- local tourism, to get people back to the sites from the, the Italians going back to the Colosseum or, or Greeks mm-hmm. going back to the Acropolis and, and finding new ways to invigorate sites and attractions. Part of the um, recommendation actually is to, uh, to partner with um, uh, innovative tech companies. Um, hmm. So we've found an increasing level of interest from museums at this period. You, you kind of imagine that they're, they're sitting sitting in their offices, twiddling their thumbs, going, "Okay, let's just wait for this to be over." That's not the case at all. They they are they are, <laughs> they are uh, planning and they are looking at innovation. They're looking at ways to open to attract local visitors again through digital mm-hmm. innovation. And so we're finding that slowly, the interest in our uh, in our immersive exhibition portfolio of products is is increasing. So going back to that, nice. that analogy of the um, glass case with the uh, butterflies or the pottery pottery one product that's get, garnering a lot of interest are the, t- are the tablet consoles. So this is basically an iPad in front of a stand that has an interactive display where you can see an artifact within its context and learn about it and and that's a quite a simple way to invigorate an existing exhibition mm-hmm. stand is with, with a tablet and they're very they're, yeah. they're very easily, easy to install and immediately digitize the, the the collection yeah we also found that we think that the, the role of VR especially in 2021 is perhaps not as the, as, as the show stealer, but as an important tool within a larger digital strategy. So like the Monet exhibition mm. I was, I was um, touching on earlier, virtual reality experiences are one of the attractions within a larger digital strategy. So visitors might come to see the 360 cinema projection or they might come to see to use the new AV guide that they pick up at the office. And over in the corner are the VR pods that some people might partake in. Some may not that sense of deploying the content over a a wide range of different hardware.
2: Nice. That's really cool. you know, and thinking about just the iPad in front of the display or whatever at a, at a museum. I mean, we're easy, right? As people, if you give us just anything else other than a glass display case, we're pretty happy. So <laughs> even, even just interacting with something, I'm thinking about like national parks here in the United States. You know, they often have something, there's a lot of displays with stuff you have to read. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and sometimes that's okay if it's brand new and interesting. Sometimes it gets a little boring. But anytime you have something, that you can interact with or move or just get into even if it's just a simple simple concept we're all in right there's a line around the door for it and, and right. you want to you want to do it so right. this is definitely a technology that's just waiting to be deployed
3: yep you walk into a into a into an old, older museum room and you see you see a flashing screen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make a beeline towards Straight the quick. screen <laughs> yeah that's right that's right <laughs> And I yep. think the, the ancient world platform we've developed, which is web-based, and, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the secret is, not so much of a secret, is that it's built for web VR. So we mm-hmm. will be in the medium future, create a way to launch into virtual reality from, from ancient world. But nice. in the meantime, the ancient world our multimedia guide embraces this, this idea of cross-platform deployment of content. It's an audiovisual guide that you can use on a smartphone, on a tablet, on a laptop, project on a smart TV, mm-hmm. use for Zoom. And because of its platform nature, it makes it very easy for museums to provide existing digital content or their own audio narratives, and it really is quite a simple off-the-shelf solution for any museum who's looking for a contactless audio-visual guide in the light of, mm-hmm. of, of COVID. So if there are any museum um, curators or archaeological site directors out there who um interested in finding out more, <laughs> please please do get in touch with
2: us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And i have been sitting on the ancient world website for a little while here and just watching it cycle through some of the some of the really cool images and, and things on here is pretty neat. We're definitely going to link to this in the show notes, arcpodnet.com forward slash TAS forward slash one zero four. And that's going to be also in your podcast player there. So check that out. So ancient world is the is really the place people go. If you go to lithodomosvr com i believe uh, that's, right. I, that's linked in there too Yep. <laughs> <Just> yeah, <laughs> didn't have that in front of me. It, you'll find ancient world there, but it, it all it is it, it links to a separate website. But we'll also link to that um, in the show notes. So uh, definitely go take a look at that. And there is a free tour on here as well. If anybody wants to check out some of the other paid tours, do we have anything for them regarding that?
3: Absolutely. So we will be offering a special uh, coupon for a fifty percent discount to listeners, and we'll, we'll send through that that redeem code for those. Uh, that discount after the show to paste uh, on, on, on the website
2: nice well that's much appreciated that's going to be super cool so what do you suggest somebody check out when they're first coming to this site it just find something you like
3: or do you have a favorite that's kind of like asking a parent who their favorite children they're all great uh, it really depends on um, where you, where your interest lies so we, we start from mm-hmm. Stonehenge Neolithic and we go right through to Hobart in Australia, so uh, 1829 mm. and a few sites in between. But we have uh, Rome, we have Athens, we have Ostia, we have Pompeii, mm-hmm. we have Split in, in Croatia, we have Corinth, we have Delphi so, and, and more. So there's 22 um, uh, tours available at the moment and, and there are more coming uh, in the pipeline in, in the coming weeks.
2: Nice, nice, that's really cool, yeah, and i see the I see the links to the apps that we have talked about in the past down here as well, so you can still get those. those are still available um if exactly. you still have a Google cardboard or something like that, you can use them with it, even
3: though Google's not selling it anymore, it still works that's right, and if you have a have an oculus go mm-hmm. one of our most popular oculus go apps is linked down there that's Athens in v r so that's a It's not quite free Rome, but you can um, teleport from place to place and learn all about Athens in the Roman period, visit the Agora, uh, the Panathenaic Way and the Acropolis and even go inside the Parthenon.
2: Oh my, that's pretty cool. I like it. All right. Well, Simon, this has been fascinating. I hope our audience has gained some insight into this and and what they can do and where they can go. And definitely check out the Ancient World website, ancient-world.co. Again, linked in the show notes so you don't forget it. And when you go to those show notes, again, arcpodnet.com forward slash it's actually forward slash archaeology forward slash 104. I was looking at our, our recording link up here. So arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology forward slash 104 for your coupon code. So you can check some of this out. There's various price ranges and just pick the one you want, drop in the code and go have some fun. So again, Simon, thank you for this. And I hope to have you guys on again. Maybe not three or four years from now, but you know, <laughs> it's sooner to talk about some more
3: great things that you guys are doing. Definitely, Chris. Thanks a lot for having us on the show. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely.
2: Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at arcpodnet. You can also find us on the Lyceum app, a podcast app just for educational podcasts. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.